0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The reason we as a church worship on Sunday is because Jesus appeared on Sunday to the disciples for the first two weeks. Then after that, the first day of the week, the day rose from the dead was the day that the church met. They did that throughout the book of Acts. And so we, we worship on Sunday. But if a church wants to meet on Saturday, they can do that. They're free to do it. You're free to worship on Wednesday or Tuesday or whatever day you want to.
1: Today on Practical Christian Living, we are talking about our freedom in Christ to celebrate certain special days, to worship on whatever days we'd like. It's not about the date on the calendar or the day of the week. It's about our heart for Jesus and taking our personal decisions before Him. Here's more from last time on a special teaching out of Romans 14, 1-12 and a plea to guard against divisions within the body of Christ. Here's Robert Furrow. I don't know that
0: there's just a conspiracy or whether or not as the Roman Empire went from being pagan to Christian, whether or not the cultures went with it. And some of those things that were celebrated within paganism went with it as well. So that there are certainly some things that were practiced. But then you begin to look a little bit closer and it's not so comparable. You begin to look at why they brought Christmas trees into their house. Or why they brought trees into their home. And you realize, well, that's not why we bring trees into our home. In the Old Testament, they worshiped Tammuz and Astaroth. and they did that by cutting down trees, decorating, and bringing them into their home. Have you guys ever read that in the Old Testament? And when you read it, you go, huh? but then when you look a little closer, you realize, oh, they're making idols. They cut down trees. They decorated them, they inlaid them, they made idols out of them and they brought them into their home and they worshiped it. If you have a Christmas tree in your house and uh, you bow down and worship it, we have a problem. If you have a Christmas tree in your house because it reminds you of the time that we have chosen to celebrate the birth of our Savior and that we have chosen to celebrate that, not because we're ever commanded in the scripture to do that, but because we have chosen that, then I don't see any problem with that. Uh, The caroling. They did care, but I don't know if they cared or not. Anytime any group gets together and sings, is that saying that that's like Saturnalia? You know, if anybody's at a sport event and they start boarding it and they start to sing, oh, the people of Saturnalia sang. They did walk down the street and sing songs about Saturn, but they were also naked when they did it. And I'm really glad that didn't carry over, all right? So once you begin to look at the comparisons, the comparisons break down. They're not as good. They'll do the same thing when they talk about Mithra. They'll say, do you know that Mithra was born on the 25th? Mithra had 12 disciples. They'll just make all of these these things up about Mithra. And then when you go to check them out, none of them are true. And Isis and, and, excuse me, Dionysus and a few of these other gods, they try to say are are the same thing as Jesus. Some of them are after Jesus, but they're not true. They had 12 disciples. None of them had 12 disciples. All of these, you could fill in whatever group of people you want to fill in. They're, They're doing the same thing that they're doing with Christmas and with these pagan holidays. So I don't think that there was this this giant conspiracy, but a lot of stuff made its way in. And um, for me and my freedom and what I do, the freedom that I have in Christ and what I do around these times has nothing to do with paganism. Thanksgiving is said to be paganistic because they have the cornucopia with it. The cornucopia comes out of Greek mythology where I think it's Zeus, forgive me if I'm wrong, who breaks off the horn of of a goat and that horn provides milk and food for him for a sustained amount of time. And so in Thanksgiving, you've seen the cornucopia, right? And you've seen the whatever, the pumpkins coming out of it or the corn or whatever's coming out of it. And that's connected to that. Now for, for me, I've never thought about that, not once. Not once did I ever go, you know when I'm worshiping um, Zeus by uh, celebrating Thanksgiving and having a picture of uh, you know, a cornucopia on my refrigerator, which we don't, but if I did it's not, that's not what it is to us. To us, that is, uh, to me, that's always been God brought us into a land and gave us, you know, the United States that is plentiful. And so we are thankful for what God has provided for us. So anyway, that gives you some ideas of how they do. But, But really, what should we, how should we handle this? The Bible gives us some surprising, applicable direction. Really with the same exact thing taking place. Because in their day, can you imagine living just say two or 300, maybe 400 AD, and you're in Rome and there are Christians and there are, and there are are still people that are doing paganistic things and you go to buy meat somewhere and you don't know whether this meat has been sacrificed to a pagan God. And so you decide, I'm not going to eat meat because I don't know, but somebody else in your same church decides I'm going to eat meat because it doesn't matter. Paul said, these these gods are nothing. They're they're not not really gods, they're nothing. And so eating or not eating doesn't really matter. But Paul also said, hey, be considerate of people who decide that they don't want to eat. So this is exactly the same thing. It's exactly, they're talking about paganism. When they're, they're, they're they don't use that word, but in this chapter, that's the context. So listen to what it says. It says, receive one who is weak in the faith. The person who is weak in the faith is the one who says, I can't celebrate Christmas. I can't celebrate Thanksgiving. I can't eat meat because it might have been sacrificed to a pagan idol. Okay, that's the weak one. I'm not saying that the Bible says that. We have freedom in Christ. But some of us, our our freedoms, excuse me, our freedoms are restricted. Uh, Some of us restrict ourselves and some of us, we need to restrict ourselves because we know that some things are not edifying to us. And we know that they lead us down a direction that's not good. And so we choose not to. But it says, receive one who is weak, but not disputes over doubtful things. This is a doubtful thing. Do you celebrate Christmas or not? Ah, The Bible didn't tell us. Doesn't say not to. Doesn't say to. And so this is a doubtful thing. And Paul is saying, I don't want you guys arguing and, and dividing over things that are doubtful. For one believes he may eat all things. This is the guy who believes he can eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, to paganism. He's got pagan roots in that meat. But he who is weak eats only vegetables. And I love that it's the vegetarian who's weak here. All right. I'm glad you guys laughed because that could be a touchy joke, right? And if, especially if somebody doesn't think we're joking. All right. So this is not connected to the vegetarian movement today at all. If you're a vegetarian, it's not talking to you. It's not saying you're weak because of that. It's talking about the faith of an individual who believes that they can't eat meat because it's been sacrificed to a pagan deity. That it might've been sacrificed to a pagan deity. Not even sure they just, it might've been, so they don't eat it. And they are the weak one. Why are, why are they weak? Because we have freedom in Christ. Because we of all yes. are the most free. And so then it says in verse three, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. So we put that in our context. If we celebrate Christmas, then we shouldn't despise the person who doesn't. If a person goes, you know what? It's got some pagan roots in it and I don't like that and I don't want to do that. They have the freedom to not do it. They have the freedom and, and we should not judge them for that. So let, um, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And then on the opposite end, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. So if you don't practice Christmas, don't judge the people that celebrate it. Right, we're, we're free in Christ. And if someone says, look, Paganism roots don't bother me. Even if they transferred back in in 300 when Constantine became emperor over Rome and Christianity was made the official religion language, even if there was a conspiracy and they flipped everything over and Christmas became what Saturnalia was, I personally wouldn't have a problem with that for me because I don't worship anything to do with Saturnalia. Everything for me is Jesus and it's all about Christ. And that's all that's been my whole life. And so it doesn't bother me. Somebody it might bother. And if it does, then that's great but don't judge the person who doesn't and don't judge the person who does. It goes on to say, and this is why, for God will receive him. Either way, you're a child of God. This is a doubtful thing. This is something outside of the realm of faith. And sometimes we try to make these an issue of faith like the Jehovah Witnesses do when they're not. Verse four, who are you to judge another man's servant or another servant? To his own master, he will stand or fall. Indeed, he will be able to stand for God is able to make him stand. When we're talking about these doubtful things, if God doesn't want me involved in them, God's big enough to work in my life and God's big enough to work in your life without me telling you what to do, letting you have your freedom in Christ. Now, when we talk about freedom in Christ, we're not talking about sinful things. We're not talking about things the Bible says don't do. We're talking about doubtful things. We're talking about gray areas, right? So then it says one person, it gives another example, but this is exactly the same. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems all day alike, all days alike. One person esteems Christmas over another. Another guy says, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. One person puts, you know, the Sabbath day. They had a, they had an argument within the early church about worshiping on Saturday and Sunday. The reason we as a church worship on Sunday is because Jesus appeared on Sunday to the disciples for the first two weeks. Then after that, the first day of the week, the day rose from the dead was the day that the church met. And they did that throughout the book of Acts. And so we do on, we, we worship on Sunday. But if a church wants to meet on Saturday, they can do that. They're free to do it. You're free to worship on Wednesday or Tuesday or whatever day you want to. You're free to do it. We're not told that you can only worship God if you worship him on Saturday. But that becomes an issue again. Sabbatharians will tell us we're not keeping the Ten Commandments. What they miss is that Jesus fulfilled all of the commandments. And that he is our Sabbath. And we are. I like to tell them I am a Sabbatharian. I don't want to get too uppity with them again because I want to really win them to Christ. But really, I think I'm more of a Sabbatharian than they are because Jesus, the Sabbath spoke of Christ and Jesus is the Sabbath, which brings us rest. And so we worship him on one day. Somebody else doesn't like that day and they want to worship on another day. They can do that. The same thing is true with a holiday. It says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, you live the things that are laid upon your heart and mind. You be fully convinced of them. He goes on to say here then, let each be fully convinced of his own mind. Verse six, he who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord and gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and he gives God thanks. And that's where we'll end this section of our study by saying whether whatever it is that we do, we give God thanks. And so if someone really were to come to your door or if you know someone who doesn't celebrate Christmas, this is, not a, this is not something to fight a brother or sister over. This is not something to divide over. It's amazing to me what people will divide over. There are reasons why Christians should divide. This is not one of them. And most things that people argue about are not things that, that really ought to be divided over. The Bible says that the servant of the Lord needs to be gentle, able to persuade someone that they might believe the truth. There needs to be a gentleness when we're sharing with someone. And if someone doesn't want to celebrate Christmas, there's no reason for us. Sometimes we get so passionate about something because maybe we feel a little threatened about it. And so we get overzealous about it because we're a little insecure. And I think that's important to understand when it comes to our theology, when it comes to once saved, always saved, when it comes to, to um, whatever, the rapture, different issues that are out there. When we respond, over respond and and put someone down, it is a revelation that we don't feel so good about our stance, that someone can challenge us. And so we respond thinking if we can really persuade them and convince them, then that makes me more secure in my stance. Instead, I would say, hey, I just want to know the truth. I want to know the truth about, about salvation. I want to know the truth about whether or not I can lose it. I want to know the truth about about whether or not I should worship the Lord on Thanksgiving. And by the way, me personally, if I was convinced that Thanksgiving and Christmas were really paganistic roots and I shouldn't be involved in that, I wouldn't have a problem giving them up. It'd be less work for me. I wouldn't have to put up and down Christmas trees and lights and stuff. (laughs) It'd make me more free. So I don't have a problem with that. But to understand that we ought to be walking in love towards one another. And if somebody has some problem, they might have it for a reason. They might, have, they might have something in their past. They might, they might have it for a reason. And that way, you might just walk in love and really try to, to have unity with differences. Anybody can, can have unity with someone they agree with 100%. But when there are differences that are not over salvation, main differences, when there are differences, I like it. I like it when people are, they come to the church they have a different stance than I do on the rapture. And while I'm teaching, I assume shake their head. You would think I wouldn't like it, but I do. I like it because they're here. I like it because we're saying your view on that doesn't make you a Christian or not. And we stand together in Christ and we're called to go out and do the work of the gospel. And when we can have differences and have unity, it's powerful. And the Bible says there must be differences among you that the truth can be known. In other words, when there's a difference between you and me about when the rapture is going to happen, I do a little more digging. You do a little more digging. You hear me teach on it and you go, I don't know if I agree with him. I think there's the other way. And you start, you start digging. And pretty soon we come to the truth because the Bible gives us the truth on these issues. Now, there may be gray areas where there's no right or wrong. It may be something you have to decide. And remember that, hey, again, uh, you have issues of people stumbling. And this fault comes into play here as well. And if I really thought that a Christian was going to stumble because we kept Christmas or put up decorations, someone's going to stumble away from the faith because of it, then I wouldn't do it. I'm not saying that we wouldn't do it if someone just disagrees. I'm saying if we really thought that it would make someone walk away from Christ, went to Calvary and they had decorations up. I'm leaving Jesus. Then we wouldn't do it. I don't think that's I don't don't think that's I don't think it's gonna happen. Obviously, because we have decorations up. But we wouldn't if that was the case. All right. So let's get into Thanksgiving just a little bit. How much time do I have left? Not a ton. Let's get into some Thanksgiving passages. There's dozens of them in the Old Testament that talk about being thankful. I'm just going to give you a couple examples. Psalms 35, 18, I will give you thanks in the great assembly, I will praise you among many people. Psalms 106, 10, praise the Lord, oh give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Then we come to the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, we get these general sweeping commands to be thankful or the statements, I will be thankful. In the New Testament, we get a little bit more direction on why we should be thankful and what happens with us when we are thankful as opposed to not being thankful. For example, Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks for all things. Putting them into the perspective of Jesus and God's plan and purpose for our lives that we would say thank you, God, even for this year that's had so much difficulty. Philippians Four, six through eight. And this is a passage that's a promise, but it's got in here the conditions for meeting the promise. And and I memorized this verse when I was a very young Christian, and I have gone over this verse in the middle of the night more than you can even know. Because every once in a while I'll wake up and I'll be thinking about something. I'll be anxious about something. Maybe something somebody said got in my cross, stuck in my craw. That never happens to you, I know. And you're laying in bed at night thinking about it. And so when I realize what's going on. I go over this verse: Be anxious for nothing. That's what I want to do. I want to be able to sleep, right? Oh, wait, I would pay money to sleep. If somebody just said, "Give me ten bucks and you sleep all night long," I'd be like, "I give you twenty bucks. Let me sleep all night long." Be anxious for nothing. Yeah, no, not, not too much. Uh, be, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So here's the condition of this prayer. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything in prayer, prayer is that interaction with God. So when I'm praying, I am at night when I'm thinking about this, okay, I don't want to be anxious about anything, but everything in prayer, so I just kind of spend some time with God. I'm just getting in His presence. I'm letting Him speak to me. I'm letting Him know how I feel. I'm letting Him know whether or not I think there's sin in my life that needs to be taken care of. And a lot of times when I'm laying there, I do, I think, oh Lord, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry that I, I said that. I'm sorry I responded the way that I, that I responded here. So That's prayer. And this supplication, that's asking God. So whatever it is that might be bothering you with supplications, you ask him, Lord, would you help my grandchildren? Would you help my children? Would you help, you know, my friend that said that mean thing to me realize how mean he is? Whatever the supplication is that, you're, that you need to pray for. And then, of course, with Thanksgiving. And that is that I got to stop in the middle of the night and say, okay, what am I thankful for? And I begin to think about all the things that God has done for me and all the things in my life that I'm thankful for, the things that begin to come to my mind. And once you do that, it says, let your request be made known to God. So we're asking God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So he's promising that by us praying with supplication and thanksgiving, that we are setting a guard with the peace of God over our hearts and minds. It's an incredibly powerful, applicable passage. Colossians 2, 6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. When we make a commitment to Christ, when we decide we're going to live for him, we abound in that life that he has given us in thanksgiving. It's a command, like Colossians 4 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in thanksgiving. That's not just a kind of like, hey, I would like to be a thankful guy, but we are to be vigilant in it. Earnest in prayer, vigilant in thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What a great passage. God's will. Oftentimes I'll ask him, what's your will for my life, God? Do you want me, what do you want me to do? What's your will for, what's God's will for me? That I would be thankful. I always know that that's God's will. Anytime that I say, Lord, I want to, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. Anytime I want to be thankful, I know I am now living in the will of God. And I think that we could come to a place of wrapping both of these concepts and ideas up that we've talked about today. Number one, knowing why we do what we do, doing what we do deliberately, And understanding that if someone challenges us, that we can defend and we have the freedom to be able to defend, especially in those doubtful things. But also understanding that whether or not, even if we say, I'm not going to celebrate Thanksgiving, that thankfulness is something that we are to do and is to be a regular part of our life. And there's probably not one of us here that couldn't be encouraged to be more thankful to God. We all probably lack in it. It's kind of like pray earnestly. Like there's not one of us here who go, not me, I pray enough. I don't need to hear that word from God. Hey, we all need to hear to be more thankful. We all need to hear to pray more earnestly. And it's a good thing for us. So stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you that we've been able to take some time and consider some things in our culture, especially when it comes to these celebrations that are are not in the Bible, but are, are part of our world. And Lord, we're thankful for them. And we're thankful that we have the freedom to be able to partake in them We also want to walk in love towards those who feel like they don't have the freedom to be able to partake in those things. I also pray for everyone who is here tonight that has not made a commitment to you or maybe has walked away from you, that they would have the boldness to take that next step and come to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a few minutes. And if you're here today and you have never invited Jesus into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I had said as we started our service that no one comes to Christ unless God draws them, the Father draws them. So God's got to nudge you, he's got to draw you. Otherwise you won't come to him. If you are thinking tonight about raising your hand and saying, I want to become a Christian, I want to give my life to Jesus. It's not because you have decided that you want to become a Christian. You're not initiating it, you're responding. God's drawing you, he's calling you. And there's some real strength in that because it means God wants you to follow him. It's not you saying, will you take me? It's you saying to him, yes, Lord, I heed your call. I hear you knocking and I want you in my life. And maybe you're here tonight and you used to follow him, but you walked away. You're a prodigal son, you're a prodigal daughter. And maybe you think that God doesn't want to have anything to do with you because you are a prodigal. But the opposite is true. God loves you. And he wants you to come home. He wants you to come back to that place where you're walking with him again. I came to Christ and invited him in my life when I was 13. I walked away when I was 18 and I returned when I was 19. And God came and got me. Someday someday I'll tell you that story, but he came and got me. He made it evident that he was not gonna let me go. Some of you guys are here because God has come and gotten you. So if you're here tonight and you would like to give your life to Christ or you would like to recommit your life to Christ, then I'm gonna ask you to do something simple. Just raise your hand right where you are now. Lift your hand up now, lift up high so I can see it. I want to take time to pray with you. God bless you, sir. That's great. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. If God's calling you today, it's because He wants you to respond today. God bless you, sir. That's great. Anyone else? I'm not going to go on and on. I'm going to scan the room a couple more times. Just raise your hand. All right. Lift it up now you could put your hands down and I would like everyone including those who raise their hands to repeat this prayer after me Dear Heavenly Father I confess that I've sinned and I know my sin has separated me from you but I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross so I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus,
1: amen.
0: Welcome to the family of God. Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus south of Palo Verde and I-10 meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. PCLAZ.org. That's PCLAZ.org, where you can make a secure one time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a recurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life, or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at Saved at and don't forget to follow us on social media. Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.